Hello. Great to see you today. Um, what's the one thing you need that makes you feel like you're home? And what's that, what's that one thing? What's that, that thing that gets down deep into us that just makes us feel like we're accepted and we're welcome home? Today is Communion Sunday. That's why we have this uh, here today. You know, what we do for logistical reasons is we have, um, we have a little wafer, you know, that we give you. It's like so thin. It's almost you could see through it. So thin. And a little thimble of, little thimble of juice. We do that for logistical reasons, but I want you to know that when Jesus celebrated communion and when the early church celebrated, it was a whole meal. I was a, it was a whole meal. And everybody was welcome. Now, I was thinking about my home growing up. My grandmother and grandfather lived right down the street in Alexandria, here, every Saturday. All the family, we'd gather there. You know, all the sons and daughters, all the grandkids, we'd gather. It'd be a huge, every single Saturday, as long as I can remember. And we'd have, we'd have a meal. We'd gather around a table. And my grandmother's famous saying was, make your dinner. She's from the South. Make your dinner. It was her way of saying, everybody's accepted here. And we'd have all kinds of different people show up outside the family. I think about my mom. My mom would invite or allow or somehow or another all kinds of people to show up at our table. Well, I would... I would roll up to the dinner table some nights. There'd be a whole family there. I've never met them before. I'm like, who are you? We feel that way about some of the people that Jesus invites to his table. What are you doing at this table? But like, they'd show up, and then they would just stay. Like, we, had a, we had a family, a mom and a dad and a couple kids, like, stay with us three months. And that's not the only time it's happened. But it's such a bizarre but wonderful thing, right? So welcome. What is it that makes you feel like you're home? What is that one thing that touches you deeply? This is what I want to talk about this morning. I sent a video out this past week. And if you haven't seen the video, go on YouTube. This is us, the role of a parent. It's a fabulous conversation. Kate, the daughter, Rebecca, the mother, never really, you know what I'm saying? Never really got along that well. Now Kate's 17 years old. Her mom's been saying, you know, you're a great singer. Apply, you know, apply for Berkeley, get into Berkeley and sing there. And so they're sitting in the waiting room of a hospital because her brother, Kevin, has injured himself playing football, blew up his knee. And Kate turns to her mom, Rebecca, and says, you know, I never applied for Berkeley. And her mom says, why? She said, I didn't want to disappoint you. And the mother says, just for the record, just so that you know, I would not be disappointed for me. I'd be disappointed for you. I'm not disappointed in you. I'm disappointed for you because all the great things that I see in you, what you could do. And then she launches into this conversation and she says, she talks about her role as a parent. She says, you know what? My job is to keep standing here with my arms open wide, hoping that one day you'll fall into them. And then she says this, if you do, I'll love you. And if you don't, I'll still love you. I will love you no matter what, because that's my role as a parent. It's that no matter what, it's that I love you if you will, I love you who won't, that grabs our attention. It's this unconditional love that a parent has that is amazing. We know the devastating effects of a parent's relationship with a child where it is very conditional, conditional acceptance, conditional love. I will love you. I will approve of you if you make the grade. 
if you get the score, if you get the award, if you get into that school, if you marry that person, if you make that salary, that type of relationship between a child and a parent is devastating. It leads to tremendous insecurity. But man, the glorious thing of when we know we have this unconditional acceptance, it profoundly impacts us. It like stabilizes the rest of our lives. It affects all of our other relationships around because that relationship with that parent is unconditional, unconditionally accepted, and we just feel solid. We're like walking on solid ground. The converse to that is really bad. This is what I want to talk about this morning. We have been going through Romans 12. And today we're going to back all the way up because what I've been hinting at all this time is, is everything written in Romans chapter 1 to 11 leads to Romans chapter 12. It leads to all these great things you see in Romans 12, right? Being patient and kind and serving and practicing hospitality. And then, and then this, we talked about this last week, actually praying for your enemies. Actually, who does that? Blessing, blessing your enemies. You know, one of the reasons why this show This Is Us is so great. You know, the writing team, they chose 11 writers. They're all incredibly diverse. They're very different. We have a lot of people that are very different for us, and it's hard. It's hard, but we're so much, we're so much better together. Where do we have the power? Last week was, you know, uh, Redskin Cowboys game, and, uh, you know, the better team won. This is important. It was, it was wonderful, uh, but, you know, the power of God was working in us, and we invited the cowboy fans in. I tell you, we had, we had a number of them show up. Now, we heckled them so bad that they all left except for one by the end of the game. But we were still very loving, right, to them. Where are you? What I want to talk about is where does the power come from that affects our relationships? Where does it come from? Where does that stability, where does the security, where does the strength so that you can actually relate to people the way that Romans... So that's what we're going to talk about today. Where in the world does all that power come from? Well, 1 John four nineteen, We love because he first loved us. We love. There's where the power comes So summarizing so much of what Paul says in Romans chapter 1 to 11, we love because he first loved us. It leads to stability, security. It affects all our relationships. In Romans 15, 7, Paul writes these words, accept one another then just as Christ has accepted you. Here's my question. How did Christ, so just as Christ accepted you, how did Christ accept you? There's our focus today. Because if we understand, and it's hard to understand, this is going to be a difficult message actually. Some of us aren't going to like this at all. Some of us say, hey, man, there's, 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 there's no... Because anyway, anytime I've ever talked on this subject, I always have... And usually it's the people who know their Bible the best. They come and they say, wait a minute, wait a minute. So I'm just warning you up front. But here's where all the power comes from. Here's where all the transformation. When Romans 12.1 says, be transformed, this is it. What we're going to talk about today. How does Christ accept you? This means everything changes our life. So let's read Romans 3, because in Romans 3, 21 to 24, Paul gives us everything he's been talking about in Romans 1 to 11. He like condenses. He like, this is the concentrated version. These verses right here at the end of Romans 3 are the concentrated version of what it means and how we are accepted by God and the power to be transformed. So here we go. But now, but now, apart from the law of righteousness... Of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. 
There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Let's try to unpack this. The word righteous is really important here. There's a righteousness apart from the law. The word righteous, the best way for us to understand it today in this context that is written is your resume. It is your resume. Your righteousness is your resume. It's your performance record. That's how you get a job. You want to get a job? You want to get accepted for a position? You put a resume together. You don't put your weaknesses on the resume. You put all of your strengths. And, and the person who you're applying for the job says, oh, okay. And you say, here it is. Look at all this stuff I've done. I am worthy. Accept me into this position. It's how we get into a school, a university, a PhD program. We say, look at my academic record. It is my resume. It is my righteousness. It is my record. I am worthy to be accepted into this institution of higher learning. It's how we get married. Right. Hey, look at who I am. Look at all that I've done and all that I have. Look at my record, my resume. Of course you should go out with me, and of course you should say yes to me. Not to mention the fact that I'm so beautiful, right? Those are the things that we say. It's, it, it's what righteousness is. It's, what, right, it's the resume. It's the resume that we present. It is the way the world works. It's the way that everything makes sense. Every religion and every culture has some type of resume attached to acceptance. This is just the way it is. It is completely rational. And so Paul says in 321, but now. Those two words are really important. But now. But now what? But now. But now something has changed. Something completely different. Something completely unheard of. Something that has never happened before. Something that is entirely unique. And that's where we got to let this sip in. Because what we immediately do is we say, oh, okay. This is the way the world works. So, of course, this is the way that Jesus Christ must work as well. And so we allow that to filter into Christ. And Paul says, you know, but now, but now you can't do that. Now you have to do something completely and utterly different. For the first time, something new is here. We are accepted apart from our resume. We are accepted apart from our performance of record. We are accepted because we are loved. It's unheard of. It's irrational. It's reckless. I would never tell you to hire somebody like that. Never. They'd be foolish. Hire somebody with no resume? Oh, they just showed up. It's an important position. I know, but I'm going to hire them anyway. Why? I don't know. I just am. Would you know anything? I know nothing. I think they just got out of prison, but I'm going to hire them. I would never tell you to hire somebody. I would never tell you to marry somebody that way. If you walked into my office and you had nothing on the person, I'd say, are you insane? This is not the way the world works. It's foolish and it's irrational. But you know, you know what does work this way? Parents do. Parents work this way. Now, look, I understand. Some of us have had parents. Um, things didn't go well. I understand that. But if you'll, let's just say, when it's working the way it's supposed to, when a parent is acting the way toward a child the way they're supposed to act, parents are irrational. They're reckless. They don't make sense. The whole world's ready to turn their back on this child, but the parent will never turn the back on the child, ever. I will stand with them till the end. That's why the scene with Kate and Rebecca from This Is Us is so powerful. I'm standing here with my arms open wide, and if you fall in, I'll love you, and if you don't fall in, I'll love you. I will always stand here. 
You don't go to a place and, hey, listen, if you show up to work, we're going to pay you. And if you don't show up to work, we're going to pay you. Boom. The world doesn't work that way. But all of a sudden, parental love does, and so does God, because God is a parent. Or the famous scene of Jack, and this is us, at the karate studio. Come out, Jack, in front of everybody, in front of all the fathers, in front of all the sons, and get down on your, get down like you're going to do a push-up. Randall, get up on his back. And then the question comes. We talked about it a few weeks ago. That question is really important. Are you willing to hold your son up no matter what? No matter what? No matter what? Well, can we qualify that a little bit? No, no matter what. Will you hold him up? Yes, prove it. Push up, push up, push up. It's the no matter what that catches our attention. That is the irrational, reckless love of a parent and is the same love that God has. Jesus says we are to pray this way. Our king who art in heaven. No. No. We're not to pray that way. Our father who art in heaven. And the word for father there is very important. It's the same. It's a very personal word for a father, like a daddy or a papa. Because our father in heaven is irrational when it comes for his love for you. Everything else about God is completely rational. But when it comes to his love and his unconditional acceptance of you, it's completely irrational. And until we let that sink in, it will not transform us. We will not grasp what we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's why Paul says in Romans 16, as he begins this entire letter, I am not ashamed. You know why he said it? Because a lot of people said, shame on you. Shame on you. Of course we must present our resume. Of course we must present our record before God. This seeps into Christianity all the time, even though it is so plain, apart from the righteousness. So we say to people, are you ready to stop doing all of these things? Repent of all those things and confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're going to be loyal and true, and you'll never do this again, and you'll do all this again. And like, ah, uh, that's me presenting my resume. Peter presented his resume that way. Jesus on the night he's betrayed, I don't know about the rest of these guys. They're a little bit suspect. But I will be with you. You can count on me. Here's my resume. Check it out, Jesus. I am loyal and true. And he was an untransformed person. And that night, in front of a little girl, he begins to cuss and scream and say, I've never even met him before. But later, when he is able to admit his weaknesses and his faults, he is transformed by his own transparency because he no longer brings his righteousness, his resume, which is actually a barrier. And every other religion in the world, it's your way in. And in, in, in our relationship with Jesus Christ, it is the barrier. Our ticket in is our sin, not our righteousness. It's bizarre. It's flipped upside down. And that's why Paul says, but now. But now something totally new and unique and unheard of and unfathomable. Now listen, the reality is this. If we don't have that love from our parents here on earth, all the statistics are pretty doggone clear, everybody. It is going to negatively affect our lives in profound ways. You might or might not ever get that from your parent. But there is a parent in heaven who loves you with an irrational, reckless love unconditionally accepts you. If you can grasp that, if you desire to grasp that, that will so seep into your very life that it will transform your soul. It did it for the Apostle Paul. It did it for Peter. It did it for what we call the woman at the well. 
It's in John chapter 4. It's the, the longest. Check this out. It's the longest conversation that Jesus Christ had with anybody in all of Scripture. She had completely the wrong resume. Her resume was really bad. She lived in the wrong area of the country. She was the wrong gender. She was the wrong ethnicity. She had the wrong morals. All was wrong. She comes to the well in the middle of the day. Nobody goes to the well in the middle of the day. You go in the morning, you go at night, and you go with a group. She's by herself in the middle of the day. What does that mean? All of her relationships are busted. Every relationship he has, she has is busted. Jesus puts a bid out to her. We talked about bids a few weeks ago. Bid out. Could you give me a drink? What do you mean? What are you asking me? That's an invitation. It's an invitation to your table to say, let's have a drink together here at the well. Why are you doing this to me? You don't, no, nobody of your stature does this to me. And Jesus begins to share the truth with her, the truth of unconditional love and acceptance. And she's so transformed by this long conversation. Jesus says, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. She says, yeah, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the person you're living with now is not your husband. But he loves her. She doesn't feel the hint of condemnation because he knows She knows he is for her, not against her. And she is so moved by his unconditional acceptance that she goes back to town, to a town where she wouldn't look anybody in the eye because she didn't like them and they didn't like her. And all of a sudden, this insecure person, unstable person, broken relationship person brings the entire town out to meet Jesus. That is how our relationships here on earth are transformed when they're transformed this way, by understanding the unconditional acceptance of Jesus Christ. You can bang your head against the wall trying to make all of these relationships work, or you could, pers- you could seek and pursue God and say, help me to understand this unconditional acceptance that you've put before me, and it'll so transform us. I have one fill in the blank for you today. If you'd like to, uh, I'd like to fill that in. Christ's love creates value, but we will never receive it as long as we misperceive it. I read a story about some cattle ranchers. They said, you know what? There's two ways to gather up your cattle, your herd. There's two ways to do it. You can build a fence or you can build a well. You can build a fence or you can build a well. Jesus is a well builder. He's drawing us together with living water, with a love that is completely irrational like a parent would have. And when we receive that love and understand that love that he has for us, it transforms our life. Transform Peter, transform Paul. I love the, uh, I love the Victor Hugo novel, Les Mis. I think it's fantastic. I think it's one of the most excellent works of literature ever. We see the transformation of this prisoner, this convict who just, got out of, who just got out of jail after spending many, many years in jail, hardened criminal. And he's there on the road near the bishop's house. Bishop sees him, invites him in for dinner. And the way that John Valjean pays the bishop back is by stealing his stuff and sneaking out in the middle of the night. He was caught by the cops. He told him, oh, no, 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 the bishop gave this stuff to me. And the cops like, he didn't give this stuff to you. So they drag him back to the bishop's house knowing that he's getting ready to be condemned to go straight back to jail. And the bishop does something irrational. The bishop does something that I would never recommend you doing, and I would never do it. He does something that's completely insane. He says, yes, police officers, 
I did give this to him. But you know what? He forgot the best part. And he hands him the candlesticks. And then he goes over to Valjean and he says, God is raising you up. Take this mercy and grace. Let it seep into your soul. Be transformed. And if you know the story, you know that Valjean went out from that and changed the rest of his entire life. Everybody, there is the power of the gospel. It changes us. It doesn't change us because we present a resume of all of our good deeds. It changes us because we finally understand it is the unconditional acceptance of Christ for us. Romans 5.8 puts it this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that means? On my kid's worst day, on their worst day, I would die for them. I might not like what they do all the time. It might frustrate me. I might be happy with it. I might say, you know what, you need to change that. But on their worst day, on a day that they would tell others that I don't even want him as a father. I can't stand him. They could spit in my face and reject me. And on their worst day, I would say, I will gladly give my life for them right now. And you know what Jesus Christ did on the worst day of his disciples? When they said, we don't know him. And Peter was cussing. I don't want any part of him. I don't know what you're talking about. He marched himself right to the cross. That's irrational. It doesn't make sense. And it's the love that God has for you and I. And until we understand that, we will not understand Christianity and we will not be transformed by its power because this is what it's all about. It's an irrational love. It's a love of a parent for a child. It's no matter what. It's no matter what love. Our righteousness, our resume it's bizarre. It's insane. The entire world knows that your resume gets you into anything, anywhere in the world, whether it's a job or that religion. But here, for the first time in history, Christianity says your resume, your righteousness actually is the barrier and your sin is the ticket in. Your flaws and your imperfections boast in them. Paul says there is power in them. When you're real and you're transparent, you and I know that. You can't have a relationship with somebody who is not being real with you. But you know when you have somebody who says, I'm sorry, please forgive me, this is who I am when they're transparent and they're real. Ah, now you have a shot. Now you have a shot. But other than that, you're dealing with a robot. You're dealing with somebody who's not human. You can't have a deep relationship. And so we have to come before God. As Paul says, boasting. Who would put that, who would boast on their resume of their weaknesses? Nobody would do that. Can you imagine taking that to somebody, to a resume writer? Hey, what do you think about this? I'm going to put all my weaknesses on this thing. It's flipped upside down. That's Christianity. It's flipped upside down. That's Christianity. Our weaknesses are actually our ticket in. It's unnatural. It does not make sense. Leonard Cohen sings in the song Anthem, There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. We're imperfect. We're filled with faults and failures, and our natural tendency is to hide them. It just is. We go into hiding. First question ever asked in the Bible was asked by God. Where are you? Adam and Eve were hiding. They were hiding their mistake. They were hiding their shame. They were not boasting in their weakness. They were cut off from God. As a result, it is very natural for us to hide those things. 
This is what we do. We put, our, we put all of our strengths on our resume before God, and we think God is going to operate like the rest of the world operates and allow us in, and yet God operates on a completely different level, on a completely different plane. And we are accepted because of our weakness and because of our vulnerability. Madeline Lengel says this, When we were children, we used to think that when we were grown up, we would no longer be vulnerable. But to grow up is to accept vulnerability. To be alive is to be vulnerable. My question for you today is, do you feel alive? Do you know that you can go to anything, anything with God? And that he will accept you and welcome you at his table. It is not based on your resume. It's not based on your righteousness. Have you experienced the transforming power of Jesus Christ? One of the ways to know that you have is the way you relate to other people. Paul was somebody who could not accept that, and he was judgmental and insecure and competitive with other people. But when he understood the welcome, the welcome of the table of Christ, it so transformed him that he lost that judgmentalism in himself. He lost that insecurity, and he became strong. It transformed all the other relationships that he had in his life. Uh, I was watching the local station uh, here recently. I don't know if it was four, five, seven, I can't remember. It was one of them. And they had a movie reviewer. I don't even know we did that anymore because I hardly ever watched the local news. And a guy was talking about uh, a movie, A Star is Born. And he said as he gave his review, I mean, it's just a glowing review. He said he wept after the movie more than he's ever wept in any movie ever before in his entire life. I was like, whoa, that must be a powerful movie. Now, I have not seen the movie. I've watched the trailer. But before I watched the trailer, I knew something after his comment. Here's what I knew. I knew it had something to do with Jesus Christ. I knew without a shadow of a doubt this movie had to in some way embody who Jesus Christ is because that's, that's what makes us weep deeply. That's what moves us. That's what inspires us. And that is what every single person in this room and everybody watching on Grace Live deeply, deeply desires. I realized this before. You get a, get a bunch of guys together. A bunch of guys together. We don't cry. We're tough. <clears throat> right? And you start talking to those guys about their fathers. What was your relationship like? Did your dad accept you? Do you feel like your dad loved you? And I can take you to a bunch of guys who bawled their eyes out. Because deep down inside, we desire that. So let's get back to the movie. It's a movie about. Well, I've only watched the trailer, but everything I need to know I saw in the trailer. <laughs> Lady Gaga didn't have the right resume. Oh, she could sing. So her and Bradley Cooper sitting down at the bar, I think from looking at the trailer, this is like one of the first times they met, if not the first time they met. And he says to her, do you, uh, do you write your own songs? She says, no, I don't feel comfortable with that. He says, why? Why don't you feel comfortable? She says, because as long as I can remember, everybody likes the way I sing, but nobody likes the way I look. He says, well, you look beautiful to me. 
There's a love that creates value and there's a love that seeks value. A love that seeks value looks for something new and shiny and beautiful and awesome. And then there is a love that creates value and it sees beauty in the person for who they are. It's an irrational love. And he says, well, you're beautiful just the way you are. And they go into this long thing about her nose. They develop a relationship. They write a song, I guess, together. And now I've watched all kinds. Again, I haven't seen the movie. I know some of you have. But I've watched the interviews with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga and Sam Elliott, right? See the guy in there? They say the culminating point of the entire movie is at the end, I guess towards the end of the movie, when he invites her, she's backstage, to come on and sing the song. She's like, no, 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 no. I can't do it. But his love for her is so genuine. His acceptance of her is so genuine. Something she's never experienced before that is created value in her. That's the love of Christ. And he just says to her, what? Trust me. Trust me? Trust me. Just trust. Isn't it interesting that's the same thing that Jesus says? And when he says it, he opens his arms wide and he says, trust me. And she walks out kills the song, it's awesome. And then Cooper says, the whole movie ends this way. Some of you have seen it, I haven't. <laughs> the last scene is it the first time in the entire movie, the first time in the entire movie, she looks dead to the camera, eyes dead onto the camera, stares at it. He said, I wanted that to be the last frame because I wanted everybody to know this is the first time that she became totally real. Flaws and all, this is who she is. She was able to boast and even her imperfections and she just total transparency, total vulnerability. And he said, in that moment, the star is born. My question is, has you ever done that before God? Can you do that before Christ? Because that's Christianity. And when that happens, something happens. Something deep happens. Transformative happens. Can you trust Christ enough to do that? Can you trust him enough to come before him? Flaws and all, boasting in your weakness and allow his spirit to come in you. Actually, our flaws are the ticket in and our resume is the barrier. Well, I want to say something about team sign-up and it might seem like a really awkward time to say it, but there's, it's really important right now. It's very important, actually. Team sign-up... Um, Brian talked to us about this earlier. We're inviting you. Here's the number one reason we're inviting you to be a part of a team here, Grace. We want to build this kind of community. If you want to know what we're trying to do here at Grace, like what is this all about? If I partner with you, if I serve, what exactly is happening? This is what's happening. We are committed to the reckless, irrational love of Jesus Christ because we fully believe, historically speaking, biblically speaking, throughout history, we have seen the world transform when people finally get what Romans says. And that is a historical fact. It has been world-changing. Lives have been changed. Do you want the world to be a better place? Then help us create a place where people understand the irrational, reckless love of Jesus Christ for everybody as a parent loves a child. That's why we want you to join a team and be a part of it. Today we're going to have communion.
And I'm going to invite those who are watching on Grace Live to, to grab a piece of bread and some juice. I'm going to invite the communion team to, to go to the table, and I'm going to explain logistics. The music team is going to come up. And the first thing I'm going to tell you is this, everybody. Everybody's welcome to Christ's table. This is a meal. It's not a snack. It's not just lunch. All right? You all know what just lunch is. It's where two people get together and not really sure they even like each other. Just checking each other out. This isn't just lunch. Jesus isn't sitting down at the table and saying, well, I'm not sure I'm going to stay at this table with this person. No. When Jesus is inviting you to his table, he's saying he's making a bid for a permanent relationship. He's saying, I accept you as you are. Come to my table and eat. My arms are open wide. This is a meal that everybody's invited to. So everybody is uh, welcome to take communion. We're going to pass the trays. You'll find a wafer. You'll find a cup if you'll take them and hold on to them. The music team is going to sing a very special song. The song is entitled, of all things, Reckless Love. I would ask you to please listen closely to the words and ask the Spirit of God to help you to perceive deep in your soul the message, the unconditional acceptance of Jesus Christ. Jesus says that we should do this in remembrance of him. What is it that we're remembering? His overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love. The fact that on our worst day, his arms are open wide and he's saying, will you fall into my unconditional acceptance of you? Will you trust me to do that? God's love for us is absolutely amazing. In a moment, we're going to take the bread and the cup. And my prayer when we're done is that if you've never fallen in to those open arms, those unconditional accepting arms and been transformed deep in your soul by the power of the Spirit as He works, that you would do that today, that you would fall in. Can we eat and drink together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us as a father, a perfect father. Your love is so unbelievable, so irrational, so reckless that you never give up on us, even at our worst time. Help us to receive that love through Jesus Christ and to be transformed. Lord, make it so real today like never before, but now. In Jesus' name, amen.